Hi, I'm Dr. Charles Argoff, and I'm delighted to be presenting this podcast entitled Breaking the Opioid Cycle, a practical training program for tapering opioids in primary care. Our learning objectives are to identify strategies for ongoing safe and effective use of opioids in patients with chronic pain, including titration, referral, and discontinuation when appropriate as well as to summarize counseling strategies for caregivers and patients on opioid therapy. So when we think about using opioids in clinical practice, there is evidence for modest efficacy. And there are a number of publications um, that support that. And we generally understand that for, as with any treatment, not everyone is going to be um, tolerant of that, of that treatment, able to tolerate it, benefit. And so opioid therapy should always be initiated as a trial, just like you would initiate a trial of an antihypertensive or other medication with the understanding that it may or may not be helpful and well tolerated. Specifically, when we think about opioid therapy, we need to have a conversation with the patient we're treating. And we want to emphasize that the goal is to provide benefit without unacceptable side effects or harm and that the therapy will be discontinued if harms outweigh the benefits and or if goals of therapy are not being met. To do this, when we prescribe opioid therapy for chronic pain, it's important to monitor our patients in an ongoing way. We wanna know, is that person experiencing pain relief? Are there adverse effects? Are there activities of daily living that are improving? Are there abnormal or aberrant drug-taking behaviors? This is sometimes called, from an opioid monitoring point of view, the four A's. And if we find that a person is not getting adequate relief or has significant side effects or is not taking the medicine as prescribed, we want to assess and act upon that. When we think about the ongoing management of a person to whom we have prescribed an opioid treatment, we want to evaluate the benefits and harms, certainly within the first couple of weeks of starting therapy and after we've escalated or changed the dose. And then subsequently, we want to evaluate pain, functional goals, benefits, and harms of therapy every three months. We want to, you know, every, this is state dependent in terms of you, the requirement to look at a prescription drug monitoring program, but you want to review history of refills, you want to review the prescription drug monitoring program to see what else the patient may be being prescribed that inadvertently or on purpose wasn't told to you. And you want to see people every three months. We also want to use this opportunity when we're reviewing our our patient's care to look for signs or symptoms of opioid abuse, screen for endocrine dysfunction. Why? Because opioids in our body control the hypothalamic pituitary axis. And so when we give and we prescribe an opioid to somebody, uh, it may result in hypogonadism or other endocrine dysfunction. And we want to emphasize the importance of, of our patients telling us how they're doing, including the good, the bad, and the ugly. We want to do this um, every initially, as I just mentioned, every follow-up and, and every refill. And this is really important for ongoing management. But what if we discover that the benefits are not outweighing the harms of continued opioid therapy. What can we do then? What might we do? What should we do? Well, we in general don't leave people on medication and treatments that that either aren't safe for that person or aren't effective. I don't think that any of us would leave somebody on, let's say, uh, a blood pressure medication that isn't working 
or, uh, or any other treatment that isn't helpful or for which there's harm. And so when we see an initiate treatment, and as we monitor on an ongoing basis, part of our strategy is to have an exit strategy. How are we going to taper opioids in an appropriate way um, and discontinue this class of medication or change the way it's being administered or used if the benefits do not weigh the harms? Um, and so this is certainly, certainly a very, very important point and really the subject of today. So the 2022 CDC guideline, which was um, released at the end, really towards the end of last year, um, acknowledged that the evidence to support a specific tapering method is limited. What it did also note is that when opioids are reduced or discontinued, we should, in, we should ensure that a taper that is slow enough to minimize symptoms and signs of opioid withdrawal is being used. Now that may be different for different people, in just a second, I'll, I'll give you a suggestion about how we might be able to do that. A taper can be completed over months to years, depending upon the starting opioid dose, and it really needs to be individualized. One might start with a decrease of 10% of the original dose per week until 30% of the original dose is reached. And then that would be followed by a weekly decrease of about 10% of the remaining dose. I have taken care of people who rapidly go off opioid therapy without a glitch and others who that final 30% to zero takes longer than the first 70%. We want to be compassionate. We want to ensure that we minimize distress on the part of the patient. Behavioral dis distress needs to be addressed during tapering. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit more deeply in just a few moments. If we have agreed with the patient who's being prescribed the opioid to, discontin to discontinue opioid therapy, um, we, we can stop it when the patient is able to tolerate less than once a day dosing. And when we do this in someone who is pregnant, we want to have extra caution because withdrawal, opioid withdrawal in pregnant patients has been associated with spontaneous abortion and premature labor. Um, and this is, um, again, the goal is to, is to be as individualized as possible. So let's just take a sidebar for a second and think, why are we tapering? Why are we tapering? And, and so is it the patient request? Is there another medical reason or non-medical reason? Is it because of adverse effects? Um, the CDC guideline itself never said that the, the original one in 2016, as well as the updated one, never said that we can prescribe opioid therapy for patients for whom it is the appropriate treatment. But even if medically opioid therapy might be appropriate, we will find that some patients, either they don't respond or the side effects are too um, much for them to be able to benefit from opioid therapy, or there might be patient misuse, and we want to address that. Um, unfortunately, since um, this is the real world, there have been instances in which insurance companies, um, and I won't name any specific, but many have said, you can no longer prescribe or we will no longer cover opioid therapy for this person, or the dose that you're prescribing is not a dose that we will support. And that's unfortunately not always a medically, off too often, not a medically based decision. 
So providers and patients um, have responded to what unfortunately over the last five years um, has been consistent with forced tapering. Um, we as providers have thought maybe we need to rapidly taper people and discontinue people, which is not what we just talked about earlier in this podcast. Um, primary care providers may not be able to um, find specialists to help with tapering and may not feel comfortable in doing it on their own. Um, we, we as clinicians may be fearful of regulatory agencies. Uh, patients are being, you know, feeling as if they're cut off. Um, patients themselves, there's no shortage of reports of increased suicidality in patients who were forced to taper following the 2016 um, opioid, uh, CDC opioid uh, therapy guidelines. And unfortunately, from a patient perspective, forced tapering has included increased use of potentially dangerous alternatives. Um, so Kratom, Kratom um, which is a over-the-counter, you can buy this in a gas station, uh, uh, quote-unquote supplement that is, is actually an opiate. Uh, street opioids have been utilized, and we all unfortunately have seen um, increased overdose-related deaths related to fentanyl-laced street opioids. So tapering in a compassionate and appropriate way is important from a provider perspective and certainly as a patient perspective. And tapering for the right reasons um, in a compassionate way is truly important. So to taper or not to taper, right? That's, that's the question. An appropriate reason to taper is can, an abnormal urine or serum drug screen that really is of a magnitude or consistency and persistence that it's not safe for the patient in our minds as providers to continue. Multiple aberrant behaviors, safety is very important to, to, to realize when aberrant behaviors are, in, are, are, are seen in patients, it, it puts those patients at risks. The refusal to trial non-opioid medications or non-pharmacologic modalities. I'm only, I'm only gonna use op opiates. I'm not gonna try physical, I won't go to physical therapy. I won't do anything else. That might be an appropriate reason to taper. When the risks begin to outweigh the benefits, when there's a lack of significant benefit, when it's the patient's decision. I've had patients come and say to me, um, I, I, I want to come off, and can you help me do that? Inappropriate reasons to taper is the CDC told me to. No, that's not true. The CDC never said that people have to be tapered. Um, and, and, and we cover, I tried to cover that um, earlier. Um, if someone becomes tolerant to an opioid regimen, tolerance is a physiological response to treatment. And so that's not a reason to taper. Um, stigmatizing a patient on chronic opioid therapy merely because they're on opioid therapy is not an appropriate reason. When insurance and pharmacy benefit programs tell you that you must taper your patient, I, I know that we live in the real world, but that's not a clinically, medically appropriate reason all too often. And yes, this can be tricky to navigate, but it's not an appropriate reason to taper. There are two main types of tapering that I like to cover during this podcast. And broadly speaking, they are forced tapering, where we're tapering an opioid in the setting when the person, the patient does not agree with the taper, but has to be done for an appropriate reason. And generally, it's being done to reduce harm if it's being done appropriately. And shared decision-making tapering. And this is tapering in the setting that the patient agrees upon 
when there's no end goal or time limit to the taper, but we have agreed with the patient that this is an appropriate next step. And when a patient may be harmed by an opioid, it doesn't necessarily have to result in forced tapering. We can also hopefully engage that patient to realize that the opioid, although it may be relieving that person's pain, there may be other aspects to the opioid use that are harmful, and that patient may very well be part of that shared decision. Wherever possible, we want this to be a shared decision-making experience. So when it comes to forced or involuntary tapering, this most commonly occurs in the setting of an abnormal urine drug or serum screen or, or abnormal behavior. And really, you want to do this um, if necessary. You want to taper in that setting because you want to reduce harm. Hopefully, you can do this in a collaborative way, but sometimes we may have to do this in a forced way. We're not police. Um, we're not the FBI. We, we, we have to explain why we are tapering the patient off of an opioid. It's not a punishment. And that's important to recognize, but it's for the person's safety because continuing opioids in the setting of their harm being uh, harm happening would be more dangerous than, than tapering. Um, and when necessary, uh, we may need to engage substance abuse or behavioral health counselors, and we may need to engage this early on because an abnormal urine drug screen is often a cry for us to help the person please do not just kick your patient out of the practice. That's not going to help your patient in the long run. Shared decision-making tapering occurs most commonly in the setting of a lack of response, prolonged period of use where the patient says, you know, I, I'd like to see if I can do without it. And when continuing opioids per se will not necessarily cause additional harm. So you, in that shared decision-making, you can take as much time um, and work on a, a tapering schedule that might be lengthier than in a forced tapering goal. Um, and that's, so it doesn't have to have a specified uh, a time limit. It is really important to discuss with the patient why you are tapering and why this could be beneficial. And when patients do understand this process and that when patients do understand that this is a trial of tapering and that there may be a possibility to increase the dose back up if, if it's or, or take longer amount of time, we are more likely to achieve success. We, we do know that there are studies that have shown that incorporating cognitive behavioral therapy for chronic pain as part of the shared decision-making tapering program have demonstrated efficacy. Um, we do know that people are concerned. Forced tapering can cause withdrawal. Forced tapering causes tremendous stress and anxiety, and there are multiple uh, studies that have shown the potential psychological issues associated with forced tapering. So we want to not do that. Um, we want to, to really understand when we start a person on an opioid that there might be a time in the future and have that patient understand that when it might be appropriate or necessary to taper that person. Okay. And so we do know as well that when people are on higher doses of opioid therapy, there is an increased risk of comorbid psychiatric comorbidities. And so for many reasons, we want to be very careful about how we taper a person, especially if they're on a high dose. And so the challenge of opioid tapers in higher dose patients is greater, especially if they have psychiatric uh, comorbidities. 
Uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, we have learned, unfortunately, Stephen Cortez at the University of Alabama in Birmingham has published important data that um, outlines and, dem and demonstrates that as people have had forced tapering, um, behaviors including suicide and violence and going to the street for opioids has actually increased, unfortunately. Um, and so um, we want to do this in the most compassionate way possible. We want to avoid stigma. We want to do this in the best interest of the patient. And there are so many um, supporting uh, publications about how to do this in the most compassionate way. We don't want, people are already stigmatized because of their chronic pain, and we don't want to stigmatize them further by having them tapered from their opioid therapy. Um, some research also has looked at the way we as clinicians um, feel about tapering. And actually there's research that has documented that we are reluctant to taper patients because we're afraid that they're gonna be dissatisfied with us or angry with us. Um, and so we want to come together and do what's best for the patient. So um, recently there was a paper that was published in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings um, entitled Ensuring Patient Protections When Tapering Opioids, a Consensus Panel Set of Recommendations. Um, and I'm just going to uh, outline these. Um, recommendation number one was to recognize the opioid tapering indications. Um, we want to make it clear with our patients why we're considering this and why that we're doing this. Um, we want to taper or consider tapering, especially when we have seen that the benefit um, to opioid therapy is not being experienced and we're concerned about there being harm. We want to reduce risk. Recommendation number two is to reduce risk during tapering. Um, pa people, patients who agree to taper tolerated it better. This goes back to the idea of not forcing people to taper unless it's absolutely life-threatening or necessary. And there was agreement in this consensus that the tapering should include a commitment to work with the patient on a safe, comfortable process with the assurance to the patient that he or she would not be abandoned. Third recommendation was how to initiate the taper. Uh, we think that um, the panel thinks that use of an opioid taper agreement or informed consent can be discussed and signed by the patient and provider. So the, it's a collaborative effort. We want to, recommendation number four, avoid abandonment. So practices such as abrupt withdrawal or major dose re reduction, cold referrals to a provider to, to, for, addiction, for addiction medicine or, or to someone who the patient has never seen or doesn't even know why they're going there. Those are considered unacceptable. And recommendation number five is if this person or persons are being seen for chronic pain, as we taper, we certainly want to optimize non-pharmacologic opioid uh, reduction strategies and also non-pharmacologic um, pain management. We, we, we want to not forget that the person is there to see us to manage their pain. And if opioid therapy is not going to be what's best for them, we want to make sure we think about other strategies. Um, so we also want to consider buprenorphine when tapering is indicated, but poorly tolerated. So we don't want to substitute tapering with buprenorphine. We don't want to say, well, buprenorphine is a potentially safer opioid, so let's just switch them to that. That's not the goal. But there are going to be instances when tapering is so poorly tolerated that we don't want to necessarily 
restart the previous opioid, but may be able to consider buprenorphine as a, 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 a better alternative given the circumstances. Also, it's very important, as I kind of discussed already, to monitor patients very closely during this, this period. And when we find that actually opioid use disorder, we diagnose uh, opioid use disorder in a particular person who we're trying to taper, we want to treat that because there are certainly evidence-based treatments for opioid use disorder. So in summary, um, we don't want to institute abrupt draconian tapers. Um, it's not only a physically horrible thing, but a psychologically horrible thing. Um, we, we want to compassionately and appropriately recognize who might be a candidate for tapering and whenever possible do so in a manner that is consistent and best for that, that, that person. Um, when um, we, we, want, we, we, we realize that not everyone is going to think of themselves as an ideal candidate for taper, but that's part of our uh, clinician responsibility sometimes to help a person understand why it's in that person's best interest to taper. So one patient example that happens all the time, um, unfortunately still, is someone being told by their provider that um, I, I, um, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I'm no longer able to prescribe opioid. Our practice has decided that we're not prescribing opioids anymore. And so for you to remain in this practice, you'll need to stop your medication now. No sense of tapering, no, this, and this still happens. And that's not a good way of considering tapering. A more appropriate way to consider tapering and something that is real world is to um, say it, it, our practice is no longer prescribing opioid therapy. I realize you've been on this treatment for a long period of time. I realize that you feel this has helped you. Let's work together to see if we can find a practice that um, um, will continue. I will make phone, phone calls or uh, let's see if it, now's a good time to consider a taper and let's work out a schedule where we can start reducing your dose. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be yes or no. Uh, people may, some people may want to go on and see if another uh, provider is willing to take over their care. Many others um, are also willing to taper, but it does take partnership and compassion and, um, and time. So thank you so much for uh, listening to this podcast. I hope that you have found it helpful. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for taking the time to learn about how we can improve our tapering of opioids in primary care. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primemed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description, where there is a direct link to the activity page on primemed.com for claiming CME credit.